Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. since what college yeah college. we lost each other in walmart i'm the first one who did it right but I, I think so yeah it's because i had the duck which that's your dad yeah you and, yeah okay my dad makes this hand sign that we called the duck and sure. for some reason the duck is what you use to search for people it's this is not going to translate no to it audio. doesn't <laughs> Dear listener, <laughs> you can't see the motion <laughs> Stephanie is making. With I don't know. Her arm. Imagine a duck that you make with your hands. It's like that, but the accompanying sound is caca, which is not the sound that ducks make. The thing about the the duck and the caca, don't ask questions. You no, know, no, no. Just let it be what it's going to be. No, I just remember the caca from when we were in college and at Walmart and couldn't yes. find each other. So we would just do it. Oh, this is so weird. <laughs> I know. I've also been I've been reading the Wind Up Bird Chronicle, and mm-hmm. there is a bird that makes a call that is like creaky, and he yeah. calls it the Wind Up Bird, like it's Do winding. Do you hear that in your head? No, I don't know what that sounds like. <laughs> I don't know what a Wind Up Bird. I don't know like. if he's. This is Murakami, of course. I don't know if he's made it up or if it's. I've been afraid to like Google search it <laughs> until I'm done with the book. Yeah, <laughs> but I keep thinking, what would that sound like? And I'm I not don't even, know. I'm not even going to try to make the sound right now because I'll, I'll think about it. Since I don't know I'm an expert in bird sounds. I'll think about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Have you ever heard the potu bird? No. Uh, Never heard of a potu bird. It's, it's creepy. Look it up. You can find YouTube videos. This is everybody's assignment. Speaking of Murakami, I've been um, writing down my dreams. Oh, when I wake up, because I decided after that, I was like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. I'm just going to write down my dreams and find a loose plot that connects them and just be like, here, I made book. Okay. <laughs> it's not really what I'm going to do, but I got really interested in... In your dreams? Yeah. Dream just, logic? Yeah. So I started just writing down my dreams, and I, I think I should talk to someone. <laughs> but when you remember your dreams really vividly, you're like what the heck is wrong with me? It, well, uh, it's just your brain trying to process things. I don't know that we're supposed to remember them, really. I rubbed creamed corn on a man last night. <laughs> I am not going to analyze <laughs> that. It didn't go anywhere. Um, just... <laughs> maybe you should see somebody. Do you know who else should see somebody? Who? Um, Dr. Scarlett Clark. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, she is the main character in in our book this week. They Never Learn by Lane Fargo. So we'll start with a summary, and then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the author, and then I'm going to let you talk. Yeah, go ahead. So the book takes place at a fictional university called Gorman University. The first storyline is about Scarlett Clark, who is not only a Gorman University English professor, but a serial killer. Every year, she searches for an exceptionally bad man on campus, Mostly rapists of the frat boy or creepy professor variety. And she murders him 
usually making it look like a suicide or an accident. Uh, her meticulous planning has mostly made her go unnoticed until she goes after someone who she's got a really personal grudge against, and mm-hmm. she gets a little sloppy, mm-hmm. and then people start asking some questions, and all of a sudden she's like, oh, good, there's uh, people looking into the high body count at this university. The second storyline is about a shy freshman named Carly Schiller, Carly is mostly happy to just, like, fade in the background and do well in school and, like, try and make a friend. Um, but she's, A friend. A, just one. A friend. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. um, she starts kind of having a crush on her roommate, Allison, who is, like, cool and confident and sexy and... She's like, almost, did you feel like she was kind of a manic... Manic pi- pixie dream girl. Yeah, I have yeah. it written down. She's, yeah. a, she's totally a manic pixie dream type. And... When Allison is sexually assaulted at a party, Carly becomes really obsessed with making sure that Allison pursues justice and um, that this guy gets in trouble. And this book has been optioned for TV, but I don't know when that is happening or what platform it's happening on. For TV, not movie? I think for TV. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it is very episodic. The two plot lines that you um, outlined are told in alternating chapters that are quite short and easily digestible. So, yeah. So, the author, Lane Fargo, she's the author of another thriller novel novel called Temper. She's the co-author of best-selling Audible original Young Rich Widows, which I have in my Audible, but I need to actually read. She also co-created and co-hosts and produces the podcast Unlikable Female Characters. Um, I wrote to the yes. podcast Unlikable Female Characters. Yes, Just... T- tell everybody what you did to me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, without talking to Hannah, I... I you suspect might hate this book. <laughs> without talking to Hannah, so... I wrote an email to the podcast Unlikable Female Characters addressing Lane saying... Hey, my friend and I have a podcast. This is the premise of that podcast. And, like, in a couple weeks, here's the release date. We're talking about your book, blah, blah, blah. And I, like, made some jokes to make it quippy. And was we're, like... We're good at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, said, you know, if you want to listen, I just wanted to let you know since we're talking about your book. I felt really awkward because, like, the title of our podcast is You Might Hate This Book. And so I felt like I had to be really clear about the premise. You explained. Yeah. You explained. But I didn't want the, like, the title to be You Might Hate This Book. By the way, we're talking about yours. It's a podcast about books that <laughs> suck and books that everyone hates. And I was like, that's really not going to read well. I'm trying to... I'm inviting you to listen to me talk about how much I love your book. Also, someone might be there who hates it. Don't let the title... Right. So no pressure on me. Yeah. And then I was like, I texted Hannah and I was like, look what I did. And then I was like, wait, now Hannah might feel like she's not allowed to say, like, no, no. I hated this book. The writing is bad. But Whatever. the good part of this story. She wrote back. Yeah. I mean, lovely that she took the time. Yeah. You know. uh, <clears throat> Lane wrote back and she was just like, that's super cool. Yeah. Awesome. I'm so glad that you liked it. And she said that even if Hannah hates it, that's okay because Scarlet is not for everybody. I, I have had that line in my head since you sent me the screenshot <laughs> of Scarlet is not for everybody because I say that to people about like my favorite TV show. Like, you that's know. not for everybody. And it's like, Okay. Well, I have lots to say, but it's your turn to talk. Well, I need to, I right, guess... Right, predict. 
Oh, this is tough because I love this book so much. It's it's unfathomable to me that you didn't like it, but also <laughs> I picked it because I thought you wouldn't. You like actually, it. it wasn't your original. You like had me assigned something else, and then you thought, no, that's too easy. We need to stick to the premise. Yeah, yeah. and assigned me this one. So I you know. must have thought I would hate it. I know, but I love it. So <laughs> how could you hate it? Let's let's just go three. Let's just go right in the middle. Okay. Three. I struggled with what to rate it exactly. Um, because not only was I struggling with my feelings, but also like we're starting to have a backlog of books. Mm -hmm. And so in my head, I compare it to like others. Like, well, if I rated this one, this, yeah, it's tough once you establish something. Right. So I landed on 1.5. So because you had me read razor blade tears. Yes. I think, I think you're helping teach me about myself, Stephanie. Okay. (laughs) I would love to know what you're learning. Um, well, first, revenge, murder fantasies, not for Hannah. <laughs> you will not like any of my books either. <laughs> um, and second, one thing, so the 1.5 is because when we read Razorblade Tears, I gave it one. Yeah. I think this book is much uh, more well-written and well-structured. But I really, yeah, Scarlet, not for me. <laughs> uh, and there's a couple things that were like the nails in her coffin for me that I'll, I'll talk about. But the other thing this book taught me, I've always kind of wondered, because I'm more of the like literary fiction genre. And this, this is contempt. Well, it's, uh, it's the genre is thriller. Yeah, it's thriller. Okay, anyway. It's a contemporary thriller. But yeah, yes. it would be like stacked with thrillers at a bookstore. Um, I've always wondered... Like, which trumps the other for me as a reader? Is it content or is it craft? Because mm-hmm. I very much enjoy the craft. And so it's like, if something's well-crafted, how much can I get past yeah. with the content? I've always kind of seen them as equal in my mind. I think this has shown me content is more important at the end of the day yeah. than craft. So thanks for that journey of self-discovery. You're so welcome. <laughs> but I guess that means that Lane Fargo did a good job crafting. You just didn't like this. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So start out with, I think um, I'm not a thriller reader. And she surprised me multiple times. Yeah. Um, so I appreciated that. Sh- we should get something out of the way right now, though. How much are we going to spoil? Oh, that's tough. This is a hard book to talk about without spoiling some things. I know, but I really don't want to spoil the spoiler because then is it even worth reading? Well, there's multiple There are multiple twists, twists but there's the twisty twist. Are you talking about the one at the end or the one in the middle? Middle. Oh, okay. I can try. You know what? Do what you gotta do. I I can I can reserve the end ones because I think there's a couple twists. If you want to read this book and be thoroughly surprised by it and get the full experience, stop now. Yeah, go read this book and then come back and listen to this. I I mean, and with a thriller too, it's so hard to talk about it without those twists and what you learn about the characters. Yeah. Um, if you really want to read it and really want to be surprised, yes. I will say that I think it is worth reading even if you know what happens. I still I, yeah. I still like a book even if I like know the quote-unquote twist. But if that's important yeah. to you, just go away. For like, <laughs> <laughs> you can come back. Come back. Read but, it and come but back. But like, go away. Um, yeah, I personally don't care about spoilers at all. I'll, it does not affect whether I re- read a book, watch a movie, or my enjoyment of it. I've actually spoiled things on purpose and then gone back and read them or watch them. Like, yeah, it doesn't impact me as much either. But I know, and my husband would be, like, staring daggers at me right now. <laughs> I know that is not everybody's hot take. All right. So <laughs> from here on out, if you're still here, that's your fault. 
So I like a character-driven kind of plot. Um, and I hated these characters. <laughs> so that was, like, step number one. But I will say, she plotted, I think, the novel very well. There were a lot of Goodreads one-star reviews about, like, this was terribly written. And I, I didn't get that. Yeah. I thought it was pretty well written. It was really fast. It was it was easy to read. The chapters were really short, which I appreciated. And all the all the twists surprised me. Yay! There's one in the middle. And then I would argue there's two at the end about yeah. who the murder victims yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. So they they surprised me, and I I appreciated. I'm that. so glad because you said that razor blade tears didn't, didn't surprise oh, no. you. So and I was like, I am going to be so bummed out if, especially if the middle one didn't get you. I needed you to get God. So can I tell you a thing that? Okay, so this is going to spoil. First, spoiler number one: Scarlet and Carly, same person. <laughs> it was really cool, but I have to share this with you. I did a thing with this book for the first time. Um, with any of the books you've assigned me. I took notes on my reactions while I read. Ooh. I don't know if it was just because it was, like, the holiday break and I had time or what. But so I'm, like, plugging along reading, and I'm in, like, chapter 9 or 10, and I tell Brandon, you know, these voices are just kind of too similar. <laughs> and I even took notes with, like, excerpts of, like, here she uses these two adjectives, and then here she uses these two adjectives, and that just... Those are not distinct voices. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to be critical. Yeah, and I'm like, if I would have been reading this just on my own and not for the podcast, would I would have recognized it for what it is plot-wise, that they are the same person? Because there were people on Goodreads that were like, oh, I saw that a mile away. And I was like, well, I didn't. didn't. (laughs) But I saw that. So I don't know if that, I'm going to assume on Fargo's part, that was intentional and good on you. Um, so that that's revealed in the middle of the book. Yeah. Um, but I just want to share some of my notes as I went on I my reactions to, to these characters. <laughs> Chapter one. All the odd chapters are Scarlet. All of the even ones are Carly. I wrote, so, dot, dot, dot. Our main character is a vindictive, murdering English professor who's in the process of murdering one of her students. Can't say I love that. <laughs> and let me just clarify if you don't know me, I am an English teacher <laughs> at a <laughs> so, university. At a, so I felt very icky <laughs> when I was reading because it's not, I mean, that's page one. She is in the process of murdering. So on a scale of one to ten, how likely are you to murder <laughs> one of your students? <laughs> I am not likely at all. <laughs> okay. I promise. Okay. <laughs> um, I felt, yeah, it made me feel weird. <laughs> and then we got to Carly, chapter two, and I just wrote, She's just sad. Uh, awful dad, clearly abusive. Like, this is this is sad. And by chapter four, I wrote, and she is just painfully shy. It's engendering some secondhand embarrassment on my part as yeah. the reader. Sometimes she was tough to be like, oh, sweet baby angel. Yeah, so you have these two narratives. Like, I'm jumping between murderous English professor and painfully, awkwardly shy freshman girl and I'm like oh this is so uncomfortable I don't like any of this um oh and then Jasper Jasper gross <laughs> he so and then this got to my first problem with Scarlet her reason for doing all the murders you outlined it pretty well um but then chapter five here's Jasper her graduate student who she's sleeping with I was like oh okay cool and she says in the book Every time I F Jasper, I feel a pang of guilt over my hypocrisy, but I'm nothing like Kinnear. Jasper is a grown man, and Kinnear's her, her colleague. 
And I'm like, okay, that felt a little bit like when people say, I'm not racist, but. <laughs> like, I was like, okay, just because you said you know you're being hypocritical doesn't make it better, Scarlett. I mean, Jasper's very consenting. But she is still in a position of power over him. Yes. So I, that's problematic. I believe that if the genders were reversed, she would say, even a consenting young right. woman, this is a power dynamic. Yeah. Right. Um, and also, he's just gross. The oh, more yeah. you get to know him, he's awful. Um, I've never met a person or character named Jasper who I like. I can think of like really? three characters in a book where I'm like, they're all douchebags. I hate all Jaspers. And then I remembered... That our young, gay, and volatile young man from last <laughs> was week. Was his name Jasper? His name was Jasper. Well, that's one Jasper. I have we found like. <laughs> exactly one Jasper who I, you know, think I could be friends with. I can only think of exactly one other Jasper I know from any piece of writing, and it's from Twilight. So. <laughs> I was just thinking, but they're like, not Jasper's coming. never a name that you give to someone who's, like, supposed to be the hero. Yeah, and he's not. I mean, she says... He's attracted to my cruelty. And I'm like, I was like, ooh, that's gross. But the more I read, I was like, no, I think she's spot on. Um, <laughs> I think you nailed it. Their their scenes together are... Like, violent almost. Yeah, it's, um, it was They concerning. have an interesting sexual dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't get better from there. Um, I And I, like I said, revenge murder fantasies are not my thing. That's, I, like, exactly my jam. I don't... You just don't have enough hate in your heart. I <laughs> maybe, or I just don't. I mean, I get. You can ask Brandon, my husband. I get angry. Yeah. I just don't find it productive or helpful. No one said it was productive. So, so then that's my question. What's it there for? It's for fun. Oh, I don't. Maybe it's because I have a real anger problem, so I don't find it fun. And yeah, the. The characters just kept getting worse from there. Chapter 17, I wrote, Kinnear is awful. This is Alex Kinnear, the um, victim of Scarlet's that was very personal to her. She doesn't do a great job with that one. Yeah. I guess we could say. She tries to, like, slow burn kill him to enjoy it and, like, have it be satisfactory and, you know. Yeah, but she... Just kill people quick when you're killing people. Not that you should kill people, but if you're gonna, maybe just get it over with quick. Yeah, by chapter 17, I wrote, Kinnear is awful, Scarlet is awful. In a way, they suit one another. (laughs) She uses her feminine wiles to, like, lure him to his death, which just also felt weird. Hypocritical. Yeah, and she was deliberately manipulating him. And then she acts hateful to Jasper, like, while she's doing it. And I'm just like, girl, you are, you have some issues. I think she's written to be a sociopath. I do, too. Yeah. So I, um, I give a little, she's not yes. meant to be believable as a regular human being. No. And that's, I kept reserving, I well, I tried to reserve final judgment until the end. And there was one final thing that, like, kind of ruined it for me, mm. which I'll, I'll get to in a second. Um. Samina was the only character I liked. Oh, she was lovable. Yes, um, until she got ruined, too. So we already talked about the twist. I think the way that Fargo um, parallels the chapters, even before the twist is revealed, in the middle of the book, that these these two voices are the same person. Like, there's a scene with Carly dyeing Allison's hair in their dorm room, and then there's a scene with Scarlett dyeing her hair, you know, as an adult, and Jasper comes in. Oh, great. Um... But that parallel dynamic was really cool. I loved that. And she continued to do it after it was revealed. So that I appreciated that structure. One thing I didn't like, though, so there's a very very uncomfortable scene, and I believe it's intended to be uncomfortable, 
of Alex Kinnear. One of the reasons she has this personal issue with him is he gaslighted her, basically, and assaulted her when she was a student at this university. It's revealed she was there for only, like, what, a semester? Yeah. And then left. That was so uncomfortable and upsetting. But I hated that it came after the twist was revealed because then Mm. I knew what she would become and it made it feel less impactful to Mm. me. And I wish that would have come before. Like, if you'd seen her be victimized before you knew that she turned into a crazy serial killer, you wouldn't have been able to, like, have more empathy for that character. Yeah, and maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe retroactively it would have taken some of that empathy away. But then going into it, I was reading this whole scene wanting to feel for her, but then knowing the monster she becomes. And that created this really awful tension that, again, made me feel weird inside. And I think that was one of the other things that I didn't like about the book is this is, I mean, I work at a university. Like, sexual assault is very real and needs to be recognized, needs to be reported. And so when we kind of put these, you know, fantasies over top, I feel like it somehow lessens those. I think I have something to say later on that will maybe help explain that to you. It might sure. not change your opinion on it. Right. Um, But I think it will explain maybe where Fargo is coming from and sure. where people who read this book and enjoy it are coming from. Right. And then, you know, Carly was a victim um, and turns on her abusers. And then every man after that, um, that is also an abuser, not of her, but of a woman. And I, so I started struggling with that too, because for victims of abuse, it's like you, the goal, I think one of the goals is to not let your abuser and your trauma control you for Mm -hmm. the rest of your life. And part of that is, is putting away some of that rage and anger um, so that you can heal. It's not about them, but it's about you. And I start, like, the more I kept reading and thinking about Scarlett, I just kept seeing over and over again how she is completely controlled by men still. And she would probably disagree with me. Yeah. But her entire life is structured around, you know, who is my next kill. And part of that is because she's a Dexter-like character. Like, she enjoys killing. It's clear she's a sociopath. But that bothered me. Yeah, but the irony of, like, a woman who hates men so much being dictated, like, yes, kind of by men. Because so. she's also a brilliant scholar, or at least that's what, you know, she's written to lead us to believe. But that really takes a backseat, which, again, I may be, like, conflating this out of its genre, and I may be <laughs> overthinking it out of its genre. But, you know, because she is in a profession that is close to me as well, I was like, you have other things going for you. And that is why I literally, like... I audibly reacted when I read this quote in chapter 41. It's Mina Samina Mm -hmm. to Scarlett. She says, you're so smart. You stayed single. You never let a man dictate the course of your life. And I went, (laughs) whoa, her entire course of her life has been dictated by men and the men she hates and the men she's getting revenge on. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. This is ironic. Yeah. I mean, she comes back to the university that she did not have a good time at. Essentially so that she can be close to And spend seven years there. Yeah. With a man she hates as Mm -hmm. her boss. When she could have just, like, gone to teach at Harvard and, like... Right. You know. And so I was just like, girl, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, you are still being a victim. Yeah. Even though she is this, like, obviously very bold and confident woman and not at all the shy, awkward Carly anymore, she's still letting men control her just in a different way. And I hated that. Yeah. I don't... I didn't like that. 
there's also another interesting scene along this line of like abuse and revenge. And it's one of my personal problems I've had with like revenge murder fantasies that I think I brought up with razor blade tears. And it's that if I really want revenge, murder. Murder's the easy way out. Yeah. Um and so Scarlet you to live with yourself forever. Yes. And so Scarlet and that's just maybe you do have enough hate in your I heart. was gonna say, maybe it's just a different type of hate. I don't know. But Scarlet has this really bright student, Michaela, and she has this outburst in class one day when they're discussing Titus Andronicus, which I loved because that's the bloodiest of Shakespeare's plays. <laughs> uh, clearly, Fargo knows what she's doing. I was like, cool. Um, but Michaela voices that exact thing that, that I feel. She believes that uh, murder is too easy and acknowledges one of the characters in Titus Andronicus, Lavinia's fate of having to live with her trauma is worse than um, the revenge killings, which are the easy way out. And so, like, I was like, yeah, that's, that's, I identify with that. Yeah. Um, so I appreciated that little bit. But then she also tells one of her classmates, if someone ever raped her, no one would ever find his body. <laughs> so like, well, these are mixed signals, but it's okay. You're finding yourself, girl. You're a college student. But one of the other characters um, in one of Carly's classes, I love the classroom setting. Yeah. That was fun. And he, I think some of the classes were designed like some of the classes you like great books. Them, yes. them like sitting in a circle and talking. I yes. was like, this is probably what Hannah's great books class was about. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Except that they read Winesburg, Ohio. I love yes, which is lovely. <laughs> um, but one of the characters in a one of her seminars, it's like a writing seminar, and she had just shared a piece that was rather violent, imagine. Mm-hmm. And he says, It's just a story, fiction. It's not fair to assume it says anything about the author. So first, good on you, Wes. And yes, Fargo, I don't assume you're... <laughs> She's probably a crazy yeah, serial killer. a good point. But then also saying it's just a story. We've talked about this with, like, erotic stories for Punjabi widows. Like, yeah. stories have power. Stories can have real-life consequences. And so that also got me thinking. I was like, Wes, you're kind of right. What is this story doing in the world? Like... What does it have to teach us or what changes does it have to bring to us? And other than bringing awareness to some of these abusers and sexual assault, assaulters, is that a word? Assaulters? Uh, Assailants? Assailants? Assailants. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. Other than bringing general awareness, I'm not sure what this book is accomplishing as a story with all the rage that it engenders. You're thinking of it like literary fiction. I am. You're free to tell me that. You are free to tell me that. But then that's followed up with Carly saying, my story was fiction, but it was about how the world should be, how it would be if we could turn men's actions back on them, make them fear us instead. I was like, woof. Well, I don't want the world to be like your world, <laughs> Carly slash Scarlet. And then also that idea of fear. I, I think I lump fear and anger together. I think they have their place and they're good catalysts mm-hmm. for change, like to to incite something to get people's attention. But then it has to be let go of to produce more effective, lasting change. Like, right. you don't want somebody to always do something out of fear or anger. Right. Like, civil rights movements are born out of fear and anger. Like, right. a, a righteous anger and right. very real, earned fear. But then they turn into, right. you know... I don't know exactly what the word for it is, but, like, you know. Well, one of the things I thought of when Carly thought that to herself, you know, make them fear us instead, which obviously Scarlet has, that's been her goal, make men fear me. I'm like, well, I'm raising two boys. I don't want them, I'm not raising them to fear women. I want them to respect women. Yeah. Like, that's the other side to me. And, like, 
Scarlett has accomplished a lot academically to be respected, but she gets no respect from any of these men in this book. And I was like, oh, that's so sad. Like, she's she's got all this focused rage, but she's also so smart. Yeah. She's gotten away with it for this long, right? Um, and she's a scholar, but she has no respect. And I think men often conflate respect and fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be respected is to be feared, but that's inaccurate. Right. But, you know? Do you think Scarlett was, like, thinking like a man in that? She might have been thinking like her abusive dad. Like, to, Oh, she's, yeah, her dad's terrible. She, I mean, she might just be a product of, you know, mm-hmm. her life in which she conflates respect and fear. She might right. feel that she is respected because she's fearsome. I don't know. Right. Um, the other thing I didn't like, she says, there's only one cure when I feel this way. And she's talking about her anxiety. But I can't risk it. Not now. Maybe not ever again. I didn't like that her cure for anxiety was murder. <laughs> that is not a good coping mechanism. It's not. And then she also, she's reflecting on one of her Gorman victims, one of these boys that was terrible. Uh, and she says, the pictures he took are probably still floating around the darker corners of the internet, but at least I made certain he couldn't victimize any more girls. I'm like, okay, so you did that with him, but what about the rest of the girls? And then also, what about the pictures he already took? She acknowledges they're still out there. So her justice, these revenge murders she's committing, what real lasting change is it evoking? That's what, like... You could have channeled that intelligence and that energy. And I realize she's a sociopath. She acknowledges it in the book. So yeah. <laughs> she's channeling that into this. Oh, I couldn't. Um, I just couldn't with, with you, Scarlet. <laughs> <laughs> she's not for everybody. She's not. And I'm, she's not for me. Okay. So all of that, like I still kept reserving. I was like, for me, the ending was what mattered. We've we've established this character. She is cray cray. <laughs> and, you know, dealing with her anxiety and, and doing these murders for justice and all that, even though she acknowledges the one she botches, it was personal. And she acknowledges that. I appreciate that self-awareness on your part, Scarlett. <laughs> um, but for me, it was how are we going to end her story? Are we going to end it with, well, there's she gets caught or even she changes in some way you know to make a good character arc you want them to change in some way and like be different at the end from the beginning and to me she was not at all no um and that was the nail in the coffin for me my i told you earlier the one character i did like was samina Mm -hmm. samina falls in love with scarlet samina is not a sociopath so i'm like okay i'm looking to you girl like help (laughs) Help old Scarlet channel and no. Yeah. Nope. Scarlet's the same. And the fact, not even just that she's the same, but Mina is on board with it, which I found even more unbelievable than Scarlet. Because again, Scarlet has issues. Yeah. Samina, you're you're a regular girl. I think you're pretty neurotypical. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, she enables it in a <clears throat> disturbing way. Yes. Um, so that was like the final nail in the coffin for me. I was like, well, if we're just gonna treat her as she didn't grow or learn anything from this or it was the last chapter. I think it wasn't even a chapter. It was an epilogue. Yeah. I think even if that had been left off for me, a reluctant reader, so that we were free to make up our minds, like, so do she and Mina go off into the sunset and keep killing men? Or do they do something else? Even if I was left to decide that for myself, I think it would have had a higher rating for me than mm-hmm. just to hit me on the head at the very end and say, nope, she's just going to go right back to killing in another 
setting, and now she's got somebody to stroke her ego while she does it. Okay. That's my hot take, <laughs> I guess. I don't so, disagree with anything you me. said. I just feel differently. That's, you and know? That's, I mean, that's why we do this. Because like, most of your thoughts on it were just like, this is how that made me feel. Like, right, right. a revenge story makes me feel like this and I don't like that. It wasn't, you know, about the craft. It was about the right, content right. and how you felt about it. And like, I felt like I needed a shower. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. So my history with the book up until oh, yeah. last year, there was a highly competitive Twitter-based writing contest called Pitch Wars. Yes. Um, so it's for budding writers who are currently unagented and unpublished, and it's volunteer published writers who volunteer to mentor these people. And so, so cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so you submit your ma- finished manuscript that is as polished as you can get it to up to four mentors, or some of them are mentor teams where it's a pair, but you, oh, cool. you get to submit to four different groups. And it's kind of like picking an agent. You have to look really hard into what they're looking for, what their interests are. So they have they have blogs where they say, like, I'm looking for this kind of story. These are the kind of tropes I like. Don't send me anything with this because I find it triggering. This is, you know, my favorite book of all time. This is my least favorite book of all time. And this is my favorite TV show. And mm-hmm. you're encouraged to, like, follow them on Twitter and read their blogs and read their books and right. find everything about them because the mentor-mentee relationship is all about working together collaboratively. It's a really cool, yeah, community for writers. Yeah. And the whole purpose of it is this published author helps you revise your book in three months hopefully with the purpose of submitting it to agents at the end of the three months. And there's a showcase where agents come and look at these pitches of these books. Mm -hmm. And lots of people have gotten agented that way. Lots of people have not, but it's still three months working with someone who like, yeah, it's still great experience. Yeah. Knows what they're doing. And hopefully you make like lifelong friends. (laughs) (laughs) So you're really encouraged to look at who these people are. This is how I found Lane Fargo. Okay. She was a mentor. Um, And I think she was partnered with somebody that year. I forget. Um, But I submitted my first manuscript to her, which I am now embarrassed about because that manuscript was awful. I still want you to revisit it someday. (laughs) I think it was a good idea. One of these days I will. When I figure out what the heck to do with it, I will. Hmm. But since you're encouraged to follow them on Twitter, I did, and Hmm. read their books. She had a book coming out in October of that year. This book. This book. Okay. Yeah. Which year was this? 2020. Okay, so this is recent. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like you said, it's so digestible. Like, these short little chapters, it is snappy. And if thriller is your thing, you can sit down and read that book and, like, finish it. And look up and just be like, what happened to me? I read it pretty quickly. Yeah. So I read this book pretty much immediately when it came out. And, oh, man, that twist in the middle. I wanted you to be surprised by it. I was. Because I, like, stood up. And put the book down and walked into a different room and just went like, uh, it, um, what? And Kyle was like, what are you, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. I, I think I'm processing my feelings. And he was like, what about it? I was like, don't bother me. I'm reading. Went back. But I like, I stood up was my reaction. I had to stand and leave the room. And then I came back and I was like. Oh, that's so good. That's Can I tell you something? Yeah. So I have I have a really bad habit of like just flipping flipping forward 
15, 30 pages. You're awful. I am. I know. Brandon tells me this all the time. And I did that. I, I took a note on it as to why I did it. Seven chapters before it was revealed. And I did it because I needed to know that Kinnear died. That was that was number one. And two, because I could see where Allison was heading. This was before mm-hmm. her. And like, it just, when I know something's going to make me uncomfortable, I deal better if I know it. Like, yeah, I... I love the horror movie Babadook, but I read the entire synopsis, including the ending, before I watched it because horror isn't my thing. But I knew what it was about and its premise, so I wanted to watch it. So I was like, but I have to know or I'll be upset. You're so cute. <laughs> I, I don't know. So I and even doing that, like I, I flipped ahead and I was like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> And so like then it was kind of cool because I could go back and like, oh, I see. I see what she's doing. And that's, I think, how I noticed the parallel scenes. Yeah. So it didn't ruin it. Yeah. But I just had to tell you that. I really liked in an interview with Natalie Santana, which we can link in the show notes, she said that she had the same reaction, that she stood up and left the room. <laughs> like, oh, really? And I was like, okay, I'm so glad I'm not the only person. I love when that. books make me physically or audibly react to something. Yeah. She goes, the twist was so delightful, I literally put the book down, walked around, and then picked it back up again. <laughs> That's exactly right. what I did. When asked to describe this book in three words, she calls it remorseless feminist revenge, which seems apt. Yeah. To you, you're like, uh, not my thing. To me, like my favorite three words. <laughs> I write books like this. Right. All three of my manuscripts could easily be described as remorseless feminist revenge. And while I am embarrassed by my first manuscript that I sent to Fargo, which did not get picked for Pitch Wars, my second two books I am proud of and feel really good about. And I feel like definitely they're the kind of books, if you liked They Never Learn, you would like this. And when she talks about how she came up with the idea for the book and the feeling of why she wrote it, I'm like, that is exactly how I felt. That's exactly why I started writing this, and that's exactly how I felt. So um, the idea for the book started with a tweet. Things, Good things used to happen on Twitter. They don't anymore. That's fine. But, <laughs> we um, can look back with nostalgia. Yeah. Nothing good happens on Twitter anymore, except for Andrew Tate getting arrested. But other than right. that... Um, <sighs> So a friend of hers posted about wanting to collaborate on a thriller novel that has perspectives of an adult and, like, a YA character. And Lane was like, hmm, okay, I like that too, which I would not call Carly YA. She's probably, like, 18, 19. She's a college freshman. Yeah, yeah. but she would be new adult. So So the idea wasn't the content. The idea was the structure. Yeah. The the, kernel. The idea was the structure. Interesting. But this tweet happened the week of the Kavanaugh hearings. And if Uh, you remember, it was a tough time for people. Everyone was a little mad. I was a lot mad. I can definitely feel her rage as a writer Mm -hmm. when I'm reading the book. Yeah. And so with the Kavanaugh hearings going on, which... Surely I don't have to explain no, just, this to just anybody. Keep going. Yeah, Google it if you don't know. But with the way all of that played out, the rage inside as a woman, and she had just recently had this idea of a structure for a book, and so so the two collided. The, and... the two collided, and thus we have they never learn. In interviews, she talks about how she hopes it's cathartic for readers. Um, One in three women have been raped, but Mm -hmm. fewer than one in three rapists have been murdered (laughs) Um, or even given a slap on the wrist for their crimes. Um, Most sane people 
Fargo included, I think I can I, yeah. say, I, um, yes. <laughs> agree that murder is not the way to deal with with that kind of problem. But sometimes it's nice to see it play out in fiction. Um, beca- is it, though? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, in a safe environment where there are no real consequences, which, yes, stories do have consequences, and what is a story doing? But I've been that mad where I was like, I think I could do a murder. <laughs> right. And... Of course, I don't want to do that because of the kind of person I am and want to continue to be. But sometimes it's nice to fantasize about it. But I don't want to fantasize about it in my head, about me actually killing someone who I'm really upset with. Because that's how you get, like... You need therapy. (laughs) That's that's how you start to get crazy and start to, like, write a manifesto. Her talking about it being cathartic, for me it was to, like, see this fantasy play out and I think it's meant to be a little unbelievable that's why she's a sociopath because mm-hmm. no belie- yes she's not a normal no normal person right. would actually act this way and be so remorseless and she makes that pretty clear too like Scarlet is constantly referring to I gotta make my face look this way so that I can portray yeah. this emotion have a regular emotion like a person would right like a real per- which she was awkward and shy beforehand and also didn't know how to Person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so getting a little bit of satisfaction and catharsis without any actual damaging effects to the real world. And I think even the ending that you're so dissatisfied with, which like I agree, normally I want a character arc where the character is different at the end and like the ending's what really ties it together. I think even that is meant to be a little bit fantastical of like, yep, they just get to keep doing this. Like it's meant to be satire is not the right word, but... Like, tongue-in-cheek? Yeah, a little bit. Like, there's this phrase that, like, always makes me so mad. Um, A woman's worst fear is being murdered and a man's worst fear is being laughed at. Yes, I've heard that. (laughs) Um, And to see that reversed a little bit, it's nice. I think it's nice. You don't have to think it's no. nice, but you think Mirakami's nice. So, like, we're uh, yes. all allowed to have our own opinions. <laughs> yeah, I... In real life, a perfect world is not a reversal where women are now feared and men are subjugated and are abused and women don't get caught for their crimes. Like, in real life... Oh, that's another book. Yeah. In real life, that is not a good solution to the current problem. But it's nice to just, like... For a moment, switch the roles, have a little bit of fake power, but then we return to the real world where we go, okay, so what are actual solutions to this problem? How do we prevent sexual assault on college campuses? But the world's not perfect, so every once in a while, flipping it on on its head and making men afraid, I think is kind of fun. Yeah, well, okay, I don't think it's fun. (laughs) Well, I didn't think it was fun in this book, but I see what you're saying, and you explaining it in that way makes sense. I guess maybe this is my teacher coming out. Like when I read a story like this and I think about it in the hands of like one of my students or, you know, dare I say one of my students who's experienced this, I worry. What are they going to do with this story? And the novel begs the question, the moral question, what is the difference between justice and vigilantism? And yes. where's the line between yes. those things? And I like that Scarlet is very clearly painted as a sociopath so that hopefully someone with this book who would be tempted to like live it out would go, this is not a normal person, though. This is not what yeah. normal people do. I do think that 
she know like she knows that she is behaving wrong she knows that she's the bad guy and i think she's not meant to be likable right uh fargo's podcast no i don't think she is yeah either. <laughs> i think if she had been painted as a likable character where we were really rooting for her and like scarlet was a hero i think that would be even more like morally questionable yeah, for the story but I, she's not likable you're not rooting she's for her she's not i guess that She's not likable. You are correct. And that is clear. I guess what wasn't clear to me and why I was waiting for the ending was, is she a hero or not? Like, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to take from her. Is she a hypocritical hero or is she, you know, this really heinous villain? I'm not like a likable villain even. I'm not I wasn't sure. And so I think I was leaning on the ending to give me that signal. Which yeah. one should I take? Her? And then it ended in that way that... And so that signaled to me, oh, so she is supposed to be a hero. Well, I don't like that. Yeah. I'm definitely putting words in Fargo's mouth, but I think it's meant to be up for interpretation whether or not... She's a hero or a she's villain. She's a hero or a villain. Because she thinks of herself as both and kind of calls herself both. There are moments where she's like, I'm the hero and I'm doing a good thing. And there are moments where she's like, I'm clearly the villain. Yeah. And I think you're meant to think, what... What is a right way to handle this? Who are the heroes? Just if you if you eliminate someone bad, are you the hero or have you become just like them? And like you said, her life is dictated by men. I think that's I think that's intentional right. on the writer's part is that like all these ironies that she's not really the hero and she's not really free and she's not really free from men. I think that's intentional. Yeah, I actually wrote down um, towards the end, she says, it's in chapter 59, I'm a monster just like the men I kill. Yeah. She says that. And so, like, I was starting to be like, okay. And that's the same chapter where she makes a choice to help someone else, to help Michaela, her student, instead Mm -hmm. of self-preservation. So I was like, oh, are we going to see, are we going to see this arc? But then, like, the very end, yeah, she returns to the side. Like, she never says she's not a monster. You're correct. But she says, I can't believe Mina can look at me and see everything, the woman and the monster, and love me anyway. And I just thought, me too, Scarlett. <laughs> me too. Can't believe that either. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I think it leaves it up to interpretation about who's a hero and who's a villain. Vigilanteism versus justice. Is she likable? Should you root for Mm -hmm. her? Mm -hmm. I think all of that is meant to be disagreed upon and talked about and leave you questioning. It certainly creates a good conversation. Yeah. And like we've talked about with genre, at the Mm. end of the day, this book is for entertainment. This book is not to teach you a moral lesson. It's not to help you grow as a person. The book is for entertainment. And you're thinking a little bit literary fiction about it. Mm I was just like, man, that was fun. And right, I like immediately right. went and told everybody. I was like, you have to read this book because it was so fun to read. And I'm probably thinking that way because I didn't find it fun. Yeah. Or cathartic, like like Fargo intended. And I think that's true. I was thinking about, you know, this is our 10th book we've done. And do you think the way you read the books you're assigned by me is different than the way you read just for fun? Do you feel like you approach it differently? I think I do. And I like, I've wondered if I should. I've tried not to. Right. I've tried not to. And then I'm like, well, how am I going to be able to give an honest review of this if I like cannot even see what it's supposed to be? So I thought of that. And then the flip side, 
do you think, because we've been doing this for a couple months, do you think reading these books that you're assigned by me differently changes the way you read your books for fun? Man, that's hard. Like, I, I think it has for me. Like, yeah. I think I think a little more critically about the books I'm reading just for fun yeah. than I used to. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, it so, really yeah. struck me with Weinsberg, which was the first book right. that I actually had to read for the podcast because right. episode one, I had already read the book. I hated it immediately. Right. I mean, opened it and hated it. And I was like, but you have to read this in a way where you could appreciate it. Try to find what's important about this. And I was like, am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to just be myself and be like, no, this sucks. Yeah, and we're like, still figuring that out, yeah. I think. So I'm not sure. But I did with um, Sense of an Ending. You did. I said, you did. this is not what I thought it was going to be. It's something else. And I'm going to judge it as what it is. You know, so... I don't know if that answered the question. I think so. I think it's just, you know, thinking more critically. I mean, this is ultimately, any, I teach English, but I think any class, that's what you're trying to get your students to do is think more critically. And if we had citizens in the world that were thinking more critically, I think ultimately Fargo would not have to write a book like this. Right? <laughs> it would be nice if you didn't have to write books like this for catharsis. Right. For anybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, and... Santana had a perspective on thrillers that I thought was interesting. Um, she said, I, I do not like thrillers, and I didn't like thrillers prior to prior to this, and I have a very uneasy time with crime novels as a whole. There are complicated issues for me about the stories that people are willing to listen to, the commodification of female pain, etc. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. However, 2020 is a dumpster fire that has <laughs> been getting regular injections of gasoline due to a bunch of dudes. So this escape in a world where bad men get bad things done to them was vengeful and a little cathartic because there were no real life consequences. So she kind of has the same feeling as you of like, that doesn't make me happy uh, right. reading those things. We also could put this book in its context of fall of 2020. We'd had a tough time. We'd had a right. tough time. Right. When I read it, I was like, Yes, that's what I needed. <laughs> right. Which I would still tell anyone to read it. But I thought that her perspective was, I assumed that you would have a similar thought of yes, that. Like, I don't really, yes. I don't really like that. Do you, here's the only other question I haven't brought up. Do you think when you're a part of a group, like we are women, <laughs> that's our group, and people have certain stereotypes about your group, you actively try to fight against them, Right. But then when other people in your group seem to reinforce that stereotype, it's disappointing. It depends on the stereotype. There right. are stereotypes that I think I would be more okay with being reinforced than you would. Probably. And that's our different personalities. Yeah. I think if someone is like, you know, women are the, an angry woman yes. trope, fine. Yes, I am angry. Maybe you should think more closely right. about your life and why I'm so mad. I think that was <laughs> another reason I bristled because I've had explicit conversations before trying to dispel that like angry feminist stereotype and so I was like oh this is something like it gave me that vibe and maybe because I've had that personal experience also yeah <laughs> um having to I think there's a balance like it. obviously feminism can't work if the only way anyone approaching it is with like Molotov cocktails and right anger. sure um, the world just burns yeah like sometimes feel, uh, we should just light it up, but right. not actually going to do that. I think there's a place we no. need, we need people of all sorts. I'm okay with being perceived as a little bit angry, hopefully in a productive way. And you're more diplomatic. What yes. are the real solutions here? Right. Like, 
how do we actually feasibly make real change? Long term. Yeah. So last, yeah. the world needs both. Neither one of us is like not serving the purpose. Sure, sure. So okay. Fargo and her approach to feminism and this book's approach to feminism has its place. There are also other things that have their place too. Yeah. And I I see that. Yeah. It still it still makes me worry a little bit. I wish everybody could just have you teach them. Oh, um, gladly. <laughs> I, I also think that. <laughs> Although I'm I'm an English teacher. I think everybody should have a teacher for the books they read because you get more out of it that you way. You do. Even yeah. if you understand it. Like um, This is why you should talk about books. Read books. Talk yeah, about books. I mean, look, everybody, we're best friends. We don't like the same things, but like this has definitely been enlightening and, you know, I've enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. So. I fully believe that Fargo's putting things in her book that she doesn't necessarily like the tropes, but she's playing with them, like oh. the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope. Yes. I mean, I'm assuming she does not like the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope because it's very, like, serving the male's yes. personality growth. And I'm just whimsical and I don't have any, you know, I'm easygoing fun girl. I feel like part of that trope is she has some hidden trauma that nobody's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so Allison is given very like a... Allison, we haven't even talked about her. She oh, is problematic. Sweet baby angel. I, she needs some help for sure. She is painted very manic pixie dream girlish and Carly is viewing her that way. Like yes. this person will help me open up. This person will help me be more adventurous. This She's utilizing which this is the same sociopath who later kills people right we don't see her that way but like carly is the same sociopath she's using allison in a very like utilitarian you can function in my life this way by helping me mm -hmm. be whatever and but then also allison is straight up manipulating carly oh too. yeah like i was oh and also everyone else around her well yeah and she had issues but and even for Halloween, she dresses up as Clementine from Eternal Sunshine. Yes, Eternal I felt like Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is like the OG manic pixie dream girl right. trope girl. And so I liked that Fargo really highlighted, especially at the end, how Allison is not all she's cracked up to be. Girl is problematic. Yes, she enables sexual assaulters. She is obviously dealing with some trauma. She uses Carly. She uses their their guy friend. Well, What's his Wes? Wes. Oh, she's awful to him. And both of these people just really dote on her and really like her and want to adore her. And she's awful to them. I like that it's like, hey, you might think I'm a dream girl. I'm a little bit of a nightmare. And right. painting women in this way of like, you have blue hair and you're easygoing and right. you must just be this like fun time and you're going to help me like come out of my shell. It's very two-dimensional to reduce a character to that. Yeah. Yes. And you might fall for a manic pixie dream girl, but Allison is actually a hot mess. Yes. I mean, just all the way a mess. And that is okay. Since yeah. you brought up Allison, I'm go I'm going to bring up Wes. Okay, our let's boy talk about Wes. Him. Oof. <laughs> so I'm going to spoil another twist at the end. Whatever. If you're still here, this is totally your All fault. All right. So this whole storyline, even after the twist is revealed that Carly is Scarlet, you're expecting this whole time Carly's first kill to be the boy that assaulted Allison, right? You are very much led to believe that that is who it is. Right. You know that someone on campus dies this year. Right. And it's not. <laughs> it is Wes. Who, as you said, is 
Allison's friend from home, from back home, and has become Carly's friend too. And the reason she kills him is because he kisses her in this very fraught, emotional moment, and she pushes away, and he reacts with, are you kidding me? And, I mean, not good. But I also, like, I get it. You're a 19-year-old or 20-year-old boy. I don't think he needed to die for that. I don't either. He needed to be put in his place, maybe, and say, like, really? Right. I don't owe you anything. And then he refers to Allison. I don't remember the exact words, but basically calls out Carly, like, you're really holding out for that girl? That girl who's a hot mess? And I'm like, but the way Carly reacts in her head, she's like, oh, this is who he was all along. And now I see the real Wes, and that's why she feels justified in pushing him off a roof. That could do with a correction. I don't owe you anything just because you've been nice to me. Right. Don't try and kiss me again. Then you proceed to not push him right. off oh, a roof. Sure. Uh-huh. Um, right. And the fact that she feels very justified. She explains. She's like, I have done the right thing. I saw the true rep. Yeah. True I, Wes. I, I pushed hard. him off a build. That's true Wes. I pushed him off a building and I have no regrets. <laughs> You were drinking. I shouldn't have. I was literally taking a drink. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's all good. It's just my computer anyway if I spew. <laughs> you should just go don't, read the book. Yeah. Go read the book now that we've ruined all of it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Wouldn't ruin it for me. Yeah, I would still read it. Yeah. Do you want to do the painful part? Sure. Just, guys, don't commit murders. Right, yeah. Murder is bad. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, find a way to get people to respect you, not fear you. Okay, so we know by this point, I think, that we do this for the fun. Um, so I tried to find the most fun one-star Goodread review. Here it is from Brigitte. I was so ready to dive in deep into the murky waters this... I, that's probably a typo. <laughs> that... Into the murky waters that I was expecting from this story of a female Dexter killing sexual predators. Turns out the water is pretty shallow. It probably drained out from all the plot holes. Oh. Yeah, which again, I'm like, I didn't feel like plot holes. Oh. The characters felt flat and a lot of character development didn't make sense and the story wrapped up very predictably and neatly. Okay. Okay. We can agree to disagree. Yeah. I got very bored with Scarlett and Carly's stories. Carly's storyline stalled and we kept waiting for the, her main event to happen. And Scarlett's just became less believable with a lot less murder than I was expecting based on the syn- synopsis. So she wanted, she wanted more, more, murder. more murder. I feel like there was a decent amount of murder. I also felt that way. As murder goes, there was a good amount of murder. <laughs> I was praying more drama and intrigue would come in the... In the cat and mouse game between Scarlet and the detectives. Which, that's true. There really wasn't. It was mostly yeah. in her head she was worried. Listen, it is hard to write a book about police procedural when you are a writer and a graphic designer. Oh. Like, <laughs> I, she talked about that in an interview, too. Oh, really? And I can personally identify with that pain. You're like, oh, my gosh. In order to write a believable book about get, not getting caught for murder, you have to figure out how to commit a murder and not get caught. You do. You have to know mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that you should not. I am definitely on an FBI watch list for my Google history. <laughs> I know too oh, much girl. about how you could or could not kill Yours a person. Yours is probably, you, you, I'm sure it's not as bad. I'm very careful not to use my Google at work. Let's go incognito. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I have some sympathy for that. She's yeah. not a police officer. She don't know. Unfortunately, that package was lost en route with the rest of the 2020 holiday gifts that weren't delivered on time. <laughs> that made me... The, the water in the pool and the deliveries made me chuckle. This one, I 
this person didn't have a name. There was just a little picture of a star and then a little picture of a moon. <laughs> so I'm calling her Star Moon. I will call you I Star guess. Moon. Um, this just didn't do it for me. Trying to buy Scarlet as an accomplished English professor and a competent killer is a real task when she sounds like a teenager and can barely keep a lie straight. Plus, the muddled messaging of her sleeping with her students and then trying to justify her hypocrisy to herself. And then we have the whole sexy female serial killer using her feminine wiles to lure men to their deaths. There's a line where she puts makeup, where she puts on makeup and a dress and says, I feel dangerous. It's eyeliner so sharp you could kill a man all over again. That's a Taylor Swift quote, just so you know. Oh, I didn't. Um, Ma'am, no man is threatened by your conformity to femininity. <laughs> Keep going. The next part's my favorite. Draw that cat. Eyes sharp enough to kill a man. That's oh, Taylor Swift for you. I didn't even you. know that, but it's, it's a, for I knew you. you wouldn't it's know. It's just for you. Yeah. I'm going to see how many times I can mention my friend from Canada and Taylor Swift as we'll often. Keep, we'll keep a tally. Okay. Love the premise, and I appreciate the intent, but the execution is just bland, predictable, and shallow. Jasper is literally eight red flags in a trench coat. <laughs> Dude just shows up at her house whenever and is constantly pushing boundaries. Who didn't see that coming? Eight red flags and a trench coat. I love that so much. I was like, yes. That is exactly what he is. And when she put it like that, I was like, oh, I should have seen his death coming, huh? (laughs) Yeah, because he was. I really enjoyed that. Thank Mm -hmm. you, Star Moon. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Star Moon. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say on the book except that okay. I am not a Lane Fargo stalker, just a just a normal <laughs> so, Twitter user. So clarifications: Stephanie's not a stalker, and we do not condone murder. Yeah. And, oh, and go to therapy. <laughs> sure, you probably. I need think it. that about sums it up. Do you want to sure. tell me what I have to read? Is there murder? Well, don't um, tell me. Oh. There definitely definitely is. I've already started reading it. Yeah, there is. So next week, uh, I'm taking Stephanie on her first, like, deep dive into fantasy. Yeah. Uh, So I assigned Stephanie the book Homeland. It is the first book in a very sprawling series um, known as The Legend of Dritzt by R.A. Salvatore. If you are at all a fan of fantasy or play D&D, you've probably heard of this, even if you haven't read it. Um, But Stephanie, had you even ever heard of it? No. Okay. So that's where we're going next week. I'm excited. Okay, me too. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love. And the books we hate. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks to Montague Workshop. See you next week. Not to murder. (laughs) That's always the question.